New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Well, good morning and welcome once again to this, our final morning of New Horizon 2021. You're very welcome to this seminar on identity politics, racism, tribalism, and the gospel. And we're delighted this morning to be joined by Nathaniel Jennings, the Ireland area rep for OMF International. And if you've been watching the evening celebrations, I'm sure you'll be familiar with Nathaniel by now from the, the interview he did with his wife, Donna. Uh, Nathaniel will also be joined by a few special guests throughout the seminar, but I'll leave it to Nathaniel to introduce them as they come. For now, let's pray together and pray for Nathaniel and the others just as they come to share with us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the chance to hear from you, to learn from you through your servants on this very important and very, very topical and very apt topic. Father, we pray for Nathaniel and for the others as they share from their own experiences and, and from what you've given them to share with us. We pray for us, Lord, whether we're watching live or recorded, that we would be attentive to how your spirit would be speaking to us in the midst of what we see and hear. Father, be with us all, be with Nathaniel as he shares with us. And may it all, Lord, ultimately be for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom, your church, your son, yourself. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Nathaniel. Thank you, Phil. It's a real pleasure to share on this topic, a topic close to my heart, close to my heart because of my own background with uh, an American father, uh, a British West Indian mother, and having spent a lot of my life um, living and, and serving in, in Asia. And I'm going to be drawing on some of my own experiences, but also some of the reading I'm, and thinking I've done around this area, uh, which is uh, really a critical area that we as Christians uh, address and, and, and think through. Um, and also I'm going to be joined by some, some wonderful friends who'll be giving their own personal insights and thoughts from their, their own experiences. So identity politics, um, that is really groups being mobilized to, to war against each other along lines of, of race, gender, sexuality, class, and many other things. Um, in Northern Ireland, of course, you could add in sectarianism. Maybe you'll join some of the dots on, on what we're talking about today with, with some of the, the, the politics and, and, and culture here. But my main focus is going to be um, on, on race. Um, and starting with addressing racism, racism is very much alive. Um, and as someone of color who um, spends his time with other people from ethnic minority backgrounds living in this country, I can tell you that, that, that racism is a, is a very real thing, unfortunately. And some of the identity politics that has arisen has arisen as a reaction to these experiences. Also, tribalism we're going to talk about. And tribalism is people being urged to take sides, to join a tribe, uh, and a tribe which then will be warring against another tribe. Um, but we, as gospel people, want to find another way to be and a way to engage in this hostile climate. How can we be Christ-like and Christian in our engagement in this area? We're called to be, uh, as Christians, people of peace, people of justice, um, but in an increasingly warring and fractured society, how do we do be these people? Um, I think when we talk about trying to address the very real and sometimes perceived um, uh, mistreatment that takes place of one group by another group. We, we maybe talk about this as, as social justice. This is kind of a, a term to, 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 to fit it under. And so how are we Christians to engage in social justice? And I think we need to engage in social justice by thinking critically, but fundamentally biblically. Um, not by jumping on all the different bandwagons that the world offers and not outsourcing our thinking to one tribal leader or another, but at least each issue uh, as, as children of God, uh, as people trying to see the world through a biblical lens to, to, to view things that way. And social justice, I have no doubt, is at the very heart of God. It's the very heart, at the very heart of his word. Um, the first commandment is to love him wholeheartedly. The second commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And how can we love our neighbors if we're going to pretend that mistreatment and injustice and discrimination um, isn't real or, or, or is not something we should take seriously when so many around us are, are, are suffering. But some Christians are 
um, skeptical about engagement with social justice, and they may say that it detracts from, from, from the real gospel, um, which should be purely about proclaiming the word and not getting involved in the, the, these, these other things. Um, or they say that social justice can have um, dangerous underpinnings of other philosophies and political ideas and might lead us to endorsing um, worldviews and values and ideas that aren't Christian. So what are these dangerous worldviews that they often re refer to? It's good for us to, to be familiar with them. Well, one is critical race theory. You'll often hear referred to. Critical race theory is, is really seeing the world through power dynamics, seeing people as either oppressed or oppressor. And you may be uh, privileged or oppressed depending on your gender, depending on your color, depending on your class, de depending on your sexuality. Uh, and, and, uh, and the narrative really is, is that there is a dominant culture uh, um, in the West, and that culture is, is, it has been exploiting and oppressing and committing injustices upon those weaker groups. Woke culture is another um, term that you may have heard a lot about. It originated from the States, and woke culture really is all about being aware of racial prejudice and discrimination, but it's moved on just from racial to, again, about gender, about sexuality, um, about, about other things. And, and, and woke culture says we can see in the world there's inequality. Often that inequality is based on people's um, identity in some of the areas I've already talked about. And, and, and woke is being alert to this and trying to expose inequality, injustice, and challenge the powers that are responsible for perpetrating this. Black Lives Matter then fits into this because the Black Lives Matter movement is an attempt to expose and protest against systematic um, racism in the United States against the black community, against black people. And Black Lives Matter really came to the fore and exploded as a global movement after the murder of George Floyd because um, in many people's eyes, this just showed so blatantly the, the, the mistreatment that sections of the black community were experiencing at, uh, at the hands of sections of uh, American institutions which were run um, primarily by, 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 by people um, from, from a white um, background. And therefore, they were perfectly um, positioned to spearhead this movement because for years they have been already saying black people are being oppressed, abused, suffering injustices, and, and, and this became then kind of a, a rallying cry around that event, that terrible event that happened um, last year. Critics of critical race theory um, and woke culture uh, and Black Lives Matter say that they create division in society, they pit people against each other, and that the ultimate aim of these, th these worldviews is to create a, a kind of Marxist or communist society um, where Christian values, traditional Christian values will be thrown out. We're gonna be hearing from some of our other people from their perspective and their opinions, but my opinion is that while I don't um, endorse uh, the, the whole worldview of many of these movements, uh, they do expose genuine um, injustice, and they've stepped up to do that. And often they've stepped up to defend people and causes who the church should have been defending and standing up for. And at times the church was completely silent on these issues, and at times they were even complicit. So when we jump to criticize these social justice movements, let's see it in the background of the context uh, uh, of this and the inactivity and the silence of God's people, uh, uh, and, and therefore a vacuum being filled by these other groups. Um, I think we can also affirm common ground with these movements. Think about our, our own context. We have groups that are, 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 are fighting for and, and wanting to see peace and reconciliation, and we may not agree with all of their goals, we may not agree with all of their worldview, but we still may choose to partner with them and cheer them on where we share common ground. Think of environmental campaigns. Again, we may not share the whole worldview or the motivations of the secular groups that run them, but, but we're very happy to partner with them or, 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 or to join with them um, where we have a common view of trying to protect God's creation, to be involved in creation care. Or human rights groups where sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll be very much cheering them on in some areas. Some areas we may not agree, but we engage with them uh, in a civil way and, a, uh, uh, and in, a, in, a, in a critical way, uh, and, and we, don't, we don't demonize them. But when it comes to Black Lives Matter, um, they've raised uh, awareness of a very real and serious issues. I don't support all their means and motives, but I acknowledge 
um, what they have done and, and, and where they have stepped up, where others should have. Um, when you come to something like taking a knee, which has become so divisive, and where taking a knee is explained as, as not a political gesture, but as a gesture just to um, bring attention to racism and that racism is wrong, wherever it takes place, whoever it's against, then I have no problem with taking a knee, but it should be a, a, a choice. Um, but this demonizing of, of other groups, sometimes on a Christian basis, often comes from people who have their own agendas, and we have to be um, very aware of that. Often they have their own political motivations. Often they are standing for, for good things, but also bolting on all kinds of things that are not actually biblical, and that's why we have to be critical and we have to think for ourselves. And this is one of the ways that, that tribes are created. You create fear, you create hostility against another group, uh, and what they you are told stand for and represent. And this justifies all kinds of angry rhetoric and hate as you try and vilify that group. And instead of engaging in listening, engaging in conversation, engaging in gentle and respectful ways. I come up with a couple of slides which maybe help illustrate how these tribes are formed. Um, so if you see the, the, the first slide, the first slide you can see some circles. I hope, hope you can see that, yep. So, 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 so you can see there um, how, how, how these tribes get divided up. So, so I've called this the, the leftist tribe. It, it's very simplified, but, but I'm, I've obviously had to generalize to try and explain this. So, so where, where can I um, find common ground with the leftist tribe? I often find people who maybe are, are more left-wing, more woke, um, I share a passion with them for protecting God's creation. They seem to be very, um, think it's a positive thing to have a, a multicultural society. Um, um, they're very, very passionate about social justice. They're concerned for poor people and the marginalized, and, and they tend to want to see peace between communities and nations. As a Christian, that resonates with me, uh, uh, and that's common ground. The, the, the things that I have to look at critically, a core part of that can often be what they call pro-choice. Of course, as a Christian, I do not endorse that, and I'm happy to discuss that with them. They may be promoting very strongly sexual self-expression and definitions. They may have a view of economic systems, which is socialist. Again, that is something that we critically engage with. But you can see we have overlaps. We have things we disagree with, so we don't need to demonize them and join the tribe or hate the tribe. And then you look at the right-wing tribe. They're pro-life, 100%. That's wonderful. They want to see biblically-based moral values in society. We want to see that as Christians. They also see that the Bible promotes personal responsibility, religious liberties. But then they often add on capitalism, free market, that, that is absolutely fine if that's your opinion, but is that really um, the heart of the gospel to preach a particular economic model? I'm not sure. Uh, increasingly, they add on nationalism and patriotism, and, and I don't see that as, as, as something, as a follower of Jesus, I should be particularly passionate about. And in America, you add on to that um, the issue of guns, being anti-government, being pro-military, being anti-immigration, and again, people are free to have their opinions, but to then say that you have to join this tribe and this is a Christian tribe and represents Christian values, that's very simplistic. And that's where it's just showing that we need to critically engage with issues and not be led by one tribe or another. I have a second slide, which I'll go through very quickly just in closing. And this tribe, this slide kind of is how we get on bandwagons. And if we get on a bandwagon, um, then, then we join um, with one issue, but then we have to join all the other issues. I'm not seeing the slide coming up, <laughs> but, 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 uh, but if you were um, jumping on the right-wing bandwagon, you may start by, by agreeing that, that we're, we're anti-abortion, but added on to that may also be um, that you have to be free market, that you have to be nationalistic, um, that you have to be patriotic, that you are anti-immigration, and then it becomes a package. If you jump on the left-wing bandwagon, it may be that um, you share a common heart for, for the environment, for, for, for social justice, but added on to that can often be um, kind of the, the eroding of, of traditional Christian values in society. It can also be um, adding on things like faith being very private. There are no place 
for faith in, in the public sphere, and obviously those are harmful things. So, 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 so my point is that we critically think of ideas and issues, and we try and judge them biblically, not by jumping on bandwagons and, and joining tribes uh, who, who then um, sell us a, a whole package of things, some biblical and some, I would say, very not biblical. And this has led to a real polarization, particularly in American society, and my fear is that it's starting to creep into other parts of the Western world, particularly. I see it as a form of radicalization, actually, where you have to sign up to a whole set of political opinions and positions on issues, aggressively defend them, and you have to denounce all those who disagree with you in any way. And surely the posture of a Christian should be very different, not defined by subscribing to one tribe or another, but guided by the word and spirit of God on every issue that we encounter. And now I'm gonna introduce our, our first guest. Um, he couldn't be here because he's in London, but I had a great conversation him, with him, him, him yesterday, and he's gonna help us to think biblically a bit more about these issues. So over to Israel, who's gonna introduce himself. Hi Israel, I wanna thank you so much for your, your time to come and share with us a little bit uh, on this important subject. Maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. Thank you very much. Um, so my name is Israel Oluwale Olofinjana and I'm on the senior leadership team of the Evangelical Alliance as uh, the director of One People Commission. And One People Commission is uh, a network initiative that brings together different church leaders across the UK, uh, national church leaders from the African constituency, African Caribbean, Asian, Latin American church leaders and white British church leaders to engage in mission and in unity. Um, I'm also a Baptist minister ordained and accredited Baptist minister. So uh, uh, although currently not pastoring, uh, but I've got experience of pastoring uh, different churches in that sense. And I also do a lot of research and writing in the areas of sort of reflecting around mission, uh, around black majority churches, African Christianity in Britain, uh, and in, in those kind of context. So, so those are just a little bit about myself, married, and uh, we've got one son. So, yeah, Wonderful, thank you, thank you um, for that. And you obviously, through that, come through, a, have a wealth of experience and different perspectives. So, so it'll be great to hear you share, share from your, your own experiences and your, your thinking in this area. So, so today's seminar, we're, we're really looking at how um, evangelical Christians should be engaging with issues of social justice and interracial harmony. We, of course, want to take our guidance from, from scripture, from the word, as the basis of, of how we think and what we do. So, so what would you say is the, the biblical basis for our engagement as, as Christians in this area? Thank you very much. I think this is a good question because we are, we are wrestling with um, the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. And I think there's been lots of uh, conversations and dialogue uh, globally and in different nations around race relations. And I think for us as Christians, particularly evangelical Christians, it's important to look at it from a biblical framework uh, and sort of ask the question, is this left-wing politics? Is this wokeness, uh, you know, stuff around critical race theory, Black Lives Matter? Uh, are we talking left-wing politics here? Or does the Bible have something to say to this subject? And I think Bible has a lot to say about this because I think uh, scripture speaks about justice. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are sort of three words that captures a sense of, you know, God as a just God. And the three words is justice itself, uh, mercy and righteousness. And you have those three words in the Hebrew uh, that sort of encapsulates God's idea of, of justice in the Old Testament. So when people talk about Micah chapter six, verse eight, uh, it, it, you see uh, to, uh, to, to love mercy and justice, you see that coming through. Or you look at Amos chapter 5, verse 24, which is popularly quoted by Martin Luther King Jr., that righteousness will flow like rain and like rivers. So you have that idea. In the New Testament, the words that encapsulate God's justice uh, is, again, righteousness, 
uh, reconciliation and forgiveness. Uh, and that is because of the cross. So the cross is actually at the heart of justice because the cross reconciles us back to God. So that's sort of your breakdown in relationship between us and God, but which is why God says, you know, the first commandment is to love God. But then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. That speaks to reconciliation. That speaks to divided communities. Uh, and I think Paul executed that in his theology by talking about in the body of Christ, we now have Jews, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians relating together uh, in that sense and the implication for worship, for mission and for community. Paul was able to spell that out for us in the New Testament. So actually when we look at scripture, on the surface, it might look as if the gospel doesn't touch on justice issues, but it actually does, speaks a lot about justice. When Ruth was integrated into God's family, is that not racial justice? Uh, you know, because Ruth was a Moabitess. And if you understand the context, Deuteronomy speaks about no one from that particular group of people should not mix with the Israelites. Uh, but it was as if God made an exception with Ruth because she said, your people will become my people. Your faith will become my faith. She said that to Naomi because Naomi was trying to say, no, don't follow me. And so Ruth being welcomed uh, and being integrated into God's family, that right there is a text and an example for racial justice. So even churches can consider that uh, as a Bible study series going through Ruth chapter one to four and begin to unpack what does justice looks like from Ruth's perspective, from Naomi's perspective, from Boaz's perspective, and the, the ancestor way down the line, David uh, perspective. So, the, the, you know, so scripture speaks a lot. Uh, there's a lot more I can talk about, but from Genesis to Revelation, Bible speaks about justice. So let's not be mistaken about it that the Bible speaks into justice and in particular to racial justice. Sure, that, that's really helpful, Israel. And therefore, um, we must care and be engaged. Um, but when it comes then to be engaged in, in social justice, interracial harmony, um, we hear a lot about Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, and we hear a lot of things a, a, about that and its basis. How, how as Christians should we view that and engage with that? Thank you. I think, um, yeah. CRT, critical race theory, has suddenly surfaced. Of course, it's been around since the uh, early 80s and Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, has been around since 2016 as well. So these are not necessarily new movements, but because of the seismic shift that has happened, uh, there's more uh, emphasis or talk about them. I think the first thing we have to do is, I think we need to take a step back and ask ourselves the bigger question. So why did critical race theory exist? What was the vacuum that it was trying to speak or situate itself? And I think the reason for say, saying we need to ask that question is, is oftentimes people just look at critical race theory and look at the debates and people can either conclude to dismiss it or to embrace it. But I think a wider understanding of why it was important for it to exist in the first place, it is very crucial. In the context of United States, I think we, we, we see that the context is so uh, polarized in terms of, one, it was the conquest of Native Americans, uh, as it is, and then later enslavement, slavery. Uh, and then, of course, after that, there is racial segregation, uh, which means if you are white, you can be in this place. If you are black, you cannot mix together. And today in America, there's racial discrimination all over the place. It is in such polarized context that critical race theory emerges to speak on behalf of people of color as it is to begin to ask the question. So what does justice look like at the grassroots for an average black family, African-American family. And so when we understand that, that, that doesn't mean I agree with everything about critical race theory, but I'm just saying that we need to understand that it was trying to speak into a worldview 
and into a context where one, there was racial division and two, uh, you could almost say families, black people of color were not seen properly as human uh, in that sense. And when we look at, again, bringing it to scripture, uh, you know, Bible talks about loving our neighbor. Bible talks about, you know, Paul talks about if one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. Paul, Paul says, if if just a little tiny part of us hurt, then we all hurt together. If we apply that to the body of Christ, if British Christians, uh, British Christianity in all is diversity, whether in Northern Ireland, in Wales, in Scotland, and in England, if some parts of the body of Christ in the UK, that is in this case, uh, Africans, African Caribbeans, or Asians, or Latin Americans are hurting, should we not feel that pain together as the body of Christ? Uh, should that pain only be felt by the Africans or the African Caribbeans? So could it be a collective pain that we experience together? And I think when we understand Paul's theology, it actually helps us to connect that. Okay, we might not agree with everything critical race theory is saying in terms of dividing society into oppressed and the oppressor, but there is something we can learn from it that can help us in terms of justice, because actually Paul says, if one part of the body hurts, then we all hurt together. If my brother or sister experience racism and that really hurts them, then surely as the body of Christ, we should gather around together and find ways to bring healing, to bring reconciliation, to go back to the cross again, uh, to such communities. So I think it's very important. And when we look at Black Lives Matter, People say, well, but all lives matter. Of course, I will never disagree that all lives matter. All lives matter because God created us in his image in the first place. The Bible says he created them male and female, Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And so that tells me that our God is a God of equality. He wants respect and dignity for everyone. And so, but if we take a cue from there, so again, if Black people are experiencing racism and rejection, then again, because they are part of the human family, God's family created in God's image, and that should really concern us. So again, that is why people say Black Lives Matter, because uh, you know, at times it feels as if Black Lives doesn't matter when racism occurs or, uh, or discrimination uh, occurs in that sense, then it feels like, okay, maybe our lives don't really matter. And so these are the kind of theological, missiological questions that uh, you know, whether critical race theory or Black Lives Matter, they are asking, but in their own version and in their own way. And for us as Christians, we have to look at it through the lens of scripture. Yeah, really, really helpful and, and so timely. And, and uh, But as you, you mentioned, particularly in the States, these all topics of racism and identity, they've become very uh, polarizing and you find people dividing into different tribes uh, and even, even amongst Christians. So I, so I just wonder, what, what would you say should be the, the church's role going forward in, in this kind of climate? I think I'm seeing that starting to increase in, 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 in the United Kingdom and Ireland as well, which is, I find very worrying. So, so how, how as a church should we, we be uh, engaging in this, this environment? Yeah, I think, yeah, these conversations, if they are not taken into context and properly, they can definitely polarize and divide us. And, and I think again, uh, as someone that works for the Evangelical Alliance, uh, where we prioritize unity uh, and diversity, I think this is where it's important, again, our reflections on uh, the unity of the body of Christ, our reflection on, okay, is it possible to embrace unity and diversity? Uh, you know, and these are questions we need to balance in tension. Unity, because at the heart of it is that we are one human race at the end of the day. God created one humanity, one human race uh, in that sense. But that humanity is expressed uh, in different culture, nations, languages, physical features, skin pigmentation, and you can continue. But essentially, it's one humanity. Uh, just because uh, our skin pigmentation looks different doesn't mean we are not human or that we are born in different continents. Doesn't mean we share the same humanity. So I think that's a key understanding a key theological concept that because we are all created in God's image, we share one humanity. But also the Bible speaks uh, about different tribes, nations, languages uh, in Revelation, Revelations chapter five, verse nine, and Revelations chapter seven, verse nine. 
And I think for me, what I find quite fascinating in those texts is this, the fact that John was able to even identify that there were different tribes, nations, and languages tells me something about God. God didn't blur the distinctions of those tribes, of those nations, of those languages. In that heavenly liturgy, we we were still able to see those things. And I say this, that, you know, God see color because he created people of color in the first place. So oftentimes when people talk about, uh, oh, I'm colorblind, I, I don't see color. Whilst I understand where people are coming from and people have different meanings attached to that phrase, uh, I want to actually say that actually God see color because God created us colorful in the first place. I mean, God created the entire biodiversity. God is a God of diversity. And because of that, uh, I think it's important that we recognize our various distinctions, but also that you know, God wants us to be united in Christ uh, in that sense. And so I think for me, that is important. Uh, and also when we see God himself, God embraces unity and diversity in his DNA. Because we talk about, as Christians, we talk about Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see that there are three distinctive persons, but one in essence. Uh, and I think the Father is different from the Son. The Son is different from the Holy Spirit. And because of that distinction, that doesn't, you can't say, oh, the Father was manifest in the Son and the Son was manifest in the Spirit. That would be considered modalism, which is one of the heresies in the first century church. But there are distinctions, but yet they are co-equal and co-eternal. And so God himself in his DNA is unity and diversity. And I think he wants the body of Christ to model that. So how can we, as the body of Christ, recognize that, okay, there are different cultures, ethnicity, theology, ecclesiology, missional approaches, but yet in Christ, there is something that brings us together that a brother from Cameroon can be a, a, a brother or a sister to someone in Northern Ireland, that someone in Northern Ireland can be a brother or a sister to someone in Scotland because of their Christian identity. And I think it's how we begin to work some of that out in conversations and dialogue that can help us on this journey and in this conversation. Thank you so much, Israel. Uh, that's really insightful and gives us a lot of food for thought as, as we try to, to navigate uh, the, 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 these very important issues. Um, so thank you for your time uh, uh, and may God bless you as you uh, do his will and serve him um, where, where he has placed you. So, so thank you very much. Thank you very much and God bless you all. So Israel has really been helping us to think biblically about these issues, but just thinking and theorizing is of little use unless we really put it into practice. So I'm delighted to welcome um, Johan, who's actually been um, grappling with these things on the ground here in Belfast. So Johan, could you start by telling us a little bit about your journey, your background, and how you came to be so passionate about uh, reconciliation and, and Christian unity? Thank you so much, Nathaniel, for having me. Um, I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa, the Rainbow Nation. Um, it's a diverse nation. And uh, growing up during the uh, apartheid era, um, I remember this bad beach day. Now, beach day is supposed to be a good day, right? And I remember uh, as an eight-year-old, went to the beach with my family. And, um, and there was a moment where an African family, black family, came and... Um, uh, just positioned themselves just uh, in front of us. And, uh, and so as an eight-year-old, I wanted to engage at that moment with this young family, especially with the boy. I had my cars there. Uh, but before I could do that, there was a policeman, a white policeman that came and then removed this family from the beach. And they were taken to a very uh, a desolate, uh, dangerous part of the beach. And I remember just turning to my mom and uh, with this sadness, with this confusion, wrestling with what I've just witnessed. And, uh, and so in that moment, it was, a, it was a pinnacle moment for us as a family because we decided that we as a family, as Christians, have to move in the opposite spirit. So it was uh, wonderful just to see how my parents modeled this for me. My dad was my lecturer in uh, engineering class, civil engineering, and uh, I remember during the apartheid, uh, post-apartheid time, um, 
you know, he would disappear in the evening and then he'll come back and, uh, and then mention to us that he's been doing uh, Kosa classes. That's the native language of a tribe in South Africa. And uh, for him to be able to engage with his uh, Kosa students, and it's been amazing how he's modeled that and to go cross-culturally for, in, in the spirit of unity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, we uh, have an Every Nation Church in Cape Town, South Africa, and there's one man that really inspired me at the time, a guy called Nelson Mandela. Right. And uh, <laughs> as many of you know, and uh, he uh, had a conference just close to our church venue, a large congregation there, and he managed to look into the venue and he saw diversity. And he said, can I come in and can I say a few words? And so the leaders invited him in and he had the opportunity to speak to the congregation, one of the most diverse wow. congregations in South Africa. And, um, and he stood there and he said, this is the dream that I had for the new South Africa. Amazing. I see diversity. I see Indian, African, white, black come together. And that is the South Africa that is one under God. And that was a tremendous moment. That inspired us mm-hmm. as a congregation to do what God's called us to do. That's amazing, Johan. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that. And uh, now you've, um, you're in Belfast. And tell us a little bit more about the Every Nation Church that you've, you've established here, a little bit about its, its uh, background, uh, where it's at now, and, and your vision for the future. Sure, yeah. yeah. And after we've established a multi-ethnic a church in Dublin mm-hmm. uh, called Every Nation. Mm-hmm. God spoke to myself and my wife and our team in 2013 mm-hmm. and said, Johan, uh, I'm calling you to Belfast, Northern Ireland, not as a Protestant or a Catholic, but as a minister of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that was the focus. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about our denomination. It was really about, uh, you know, uh, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, came to Belfast. We knew about the history and I just knew that God wanted to pl- put a, a multi-ethnic church on display uh, to bring about reconciliation. It's a, obviously, as we know, it's, it's a, a divided city with a lot of walls. And we just saw that there's a lot of walls in people's hearts. And so as a church, you know, we are called to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations uh, by being a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible church. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, um, I, I, I'd love to visit it. <laughs> but uh, you're very um, welcome. Tell us then, um, what are some of the blessings and, and, and the challenges of, of leading such a diverse church? You know, we've just seen how God has brought people in from every tribe and nation. Uh, you know, the blessing to see people from West Belfast. East Belfast come from different parts of the city. I remember this one morning so well. Um, you know, we had a, a guy called German John. So German introduced himself and said, John, where are you from? He said, I'm from the Falls Road. And he said, oh, I'm from the Shank Hill. And so there was this, this moment in realizing about the similar age and there was conflict during the years of the troubles. But they just realized, remember Jim said, hey, bro, brother, look at what God has done. We used to be enemies, but now we're brothers. In that moment... I was reminded of the why, the why God called me to this city, mm-hmm. uh, because I could see mm-hmm. two parties coming together in one place, and uh, we meet in the Unity Chapel, and, uh, and during the Troubles, that same location was used as a place of uh, refuge, but also a place of prayer, mm-hmm. where uh, Catholics and Protestants used to come together to pray mm-hmm. for unity in this city, mm-hmm. and that's what it's about, you know, we're about God's kingdom, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, as we always pray, in Belfast as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Because heaven is a united kingdom. Not yeah, to get yeah, political, yeah, but yeah, yeah. God's, it's, it's united. And that's what we want to see in our city. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, diversity and unity. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Johan, for, for sharing. So, so heartwarming to hear about your, your heart and how God's formed that heart. And, and thank you for being obedient to God and, and coming to this city uh, uh, and being used by him to, 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 to bring, bring a blessing and we'll be praying for you as you, as you go forward as well. Um, so, so really appreciate it. Um, Thank you so much. I'm going to now invite um, David, um, who also has come from Africa to serve in Northern Ireland. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think 
Um, one of the things I was thinking as Johan was speaking, you know, God has called us both to serve but also to receive. And what blessing when, when we can also receive from our brothers from the global church. They have so much to teach us. And that takes a, a, a humble posture. Um, before I ask you a couple of questions, David, um, someone provoked me with, with this question. He said, uh, why, why do we call a Northern Irish Christian teaching English in Uganda missionary, but we call a Ugandan Christian nurse in Northern Ireland, a migrant. <laughs> Surely all are, are missionaries, and, and, and I'm so glad a, a godly brother like yourself has come from Uganda to serve us in, in, in Northern Ireland. So, so first of all, David, I want you just to tell me a little bit, what, what's it like being a, a missionary from Uganda in, in Northern Ireland? Really, uh, living in Northern Ireland is a joy, a privilege, and really I looked at myself as a witness, mm -hmm. as an ambassador, for the Lord Jesus Christ, because whenever we are, where God puts me, where puts God us, really, we have to witness. We have to be a blessing. We have to see that we are doing what God likes us to do. Like for me, living here in Northern Ireland, I see there's a lot of opportunities to share what God has put in my heart, what God has commissioned me. Uh, sometimes it's not easy uh, working uh, the Irish church uh, uh, inviting us in. Sometimes they haven't understood much about us who are coming from outside. Uh, sometimes we have a lot of talents we have. We like to give out uh, to the public there. But sometimes other churches, they would love uh, people just to sit in the congregation and listen to the teaching, but they don't give opportunities for the people who are coming in to share their experience. They ha we have different talents. So with that one, to some, this makes them a little bit slow, and sometimes they walk away. That's why sometimes you see other many churches, new churches, is because not that they can't work with them, but because they're not given a chance and they have the talents to be able to share their talents. But for me, I believe that there's a lot of churches here. Uh, we see, especially where I live, there's a lot of churches nearby. I see that I can be a blessing to these churches to share testimony, to engage with them, to be able to, to be a part of this as a, a commission God has given to me as an individual. Uh, but there's a lot of challenge mm -hmm. in many ways, mm -hmm. which we need our brothers and sisters, the church, to recognize that we are here, we are here to serve together. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not sure taking over, but we just like to share what God has given to us. It hasn't been easy, but we see there's an opportunity mm -hmm. to work together mm -hmm. Wonderful. and to share our, the blessing, the talents yeah. God has yeah. given yeah. to yeah. each yeah. of us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you raise a, a powerful point there, don't you? That, that, that people who come here, they're not just to be the recipients of our charity, but they're, they're here to, to bless us and, and to teach us and to challenge us. And maybe sometimes why we see um, the more traditional churches not being so multicultural or, or ethnic churches starting up is maybe because people want to be somewhere where they will be honored, where they will be given um, responsibility, where they'll be seen as people who have come to, to, to bless, not, not just to receive. So, so thank you so much for that challenge. Um, I know um, you have now started All Nations Ministries, uh, and, and I've been involved a little bit with that, and, and it's a wonderful thing. So could you tell us a little bit about this ministry and, and, and what it's about? All Nations Ministry, we involve holistically. We do different things by God's grace. Many of the things, the people we serve, we serve the local and also those new arrivals, internationals. We have various people from different countries, especially from the war zone. We could have people from Iran, from Iraq, from Palestine, from Sudan, from different countries who are living here. We, we see that really the aim is to reach out to Je for Jesus, but also for integration. But when we say integration, we need to have a little bit of strategy, how we can work on that one. So with that one, we have different projects which we deal with through uh, the area. We have which we call recovery. This recovery, it takes, really it comes, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was a stranger. So the recovery, we come with clothing, uh, household, and also we have furniture. Because many people, when they come to us, 
they ask you, could you have a pram? And what is a pram? So we didn't have anything. Mm -hmm. So we'll go and ask, is anybody with a pram? Ah, I don't have. Maybe I'll check with Sound So. And Sound So will check with Sound So. Then they put on the Facebook that, oh, we have a pram for you. And we give a pram. Mm -hmm. So with that one, how it developed to get this with through other friends, mm -hmm. where now we have furniture where people, they will come and choose. We, we invite them in the center. Mm -hmm. We give them, they come and see, and we give a cup of tea and uh, listening. And we invite different people from different uh, agencies different churches, different uh, government officials to come and share about the law, uh, share about the experience, and within the community to share their lives. That one after that, they go and take pick what they would like, and we drive them where they could be, and the furniture which were being donated to, then we take them to their houses. That one, uh, it has been very, very fruitful. Apart of also of that one, we have English classes mm -hmm. where many people we have Belfast Met and other colleges, but these people, they say, really, our need is not qualification. The people really, what we did with, they just need how to communicate, to relate uh, to the doctors, to the taxi, to go to the shopping. That's one of the things, really, our English conversation is to converse and help them to communicate. But also we have the choir. Choir has been really a blessing. It's like ambassador. We go and minister to different people in different churches where we can be able to share the gospel, what God has been given to us to share. But also we have the bike ministry. We go and pick, uh, we see a bicycle on the street, we pick it for recycling. People donate to us, and this bicycle, when they give to us, we give back to the refugee asylum seekers and also some locals who may need. We have a lot of requests now who have been asking us with that one. But also, we have uh, the Eden, Guard, Eden Ministry, Eden Garden. This one, because during the lockdown, really it has been very difficult for many. And we, when we bring the people to the garden, plant planting flowers, potatoes, different things. It is a blessing. First of all, it's a blessing for all beings to come out, to meet together in the fresh air. It has been a blessing for meeting other people too. And also we have, uh, we have also the driving theory. The driving theory because many people, they like to drive, they don't have money. So we just, they come and we give them the theory in that one. But also we have the food ministry whereby we'll give the people, uh, we, sometimes we get donations from individuals, sometimes we buy from fair share, and the storehouse has been really a blessing to us, then they will come and we give to them uh, the food and be able to. We have also sewing class. All of these things come, we don't plan to it, but they commit themselves, they come, uh, could we do this, could we do it? And they say, okay, we look around, who could be, could we have volunteers? So now we have also, now the sewing class where but the lockdown put everything down, but now we are coming back, you know, this one. But also we have the computer, because sometimes uh, they would love to help their children how to put things together. But doing homework, all these things. So these computers have been donated to us by PCNI. And also the music, we have also music. We're teaching guitar uh, at the moment from 9 to 16. This was given to us also a gift where we train young people, uh, the children, to learn to get the skills in, in that one. We have the prayer ministry. At the moment, uh, during the lockdown, we had opportunity praying online. So we haven't come back yet. We're still praying online. That is from Monday to Friday. We have for one hour from six to seven. That one where people share the scripture and engage with one another. But also we used, we, we, we also now, we are coming back. We have a monthly fellowship where we'll come once a month sharing our, our experiences, where people will feel at home, to be a part of one another. Really, we see, but also we have an outreach. These outreaches whereby we go in the community, we go and share in schools about racism, sharing experiences, different things. Really, we're being invited in different schools. Also, sometimes we go in different churches, we go in nursing home. We go in nursing home whereby by the way, we have a drum circle. Uh, we have a lot of drums. People will sit together either in the park, in the, in, the, uh, in the nursing home, and we play the music. People who really they like playing the drum circle. You play a little bit, you listen to the story, somebody will share a story. 
it has been amazing in that way. <laughs> so you, you have a lot going on, David. <laughs> you're, you're a, you must be a very busy man. Uh, I know you are a busy man, and this is both your ministry but also your life, and, and you do it with such uh, joy that, that what always strikes me. But to maintain all these things, you must have a lot of uh, volunteers, and, and do you need more volunteers if people wanted to get involved? Um, could, could, would there be ways to do that? Really, uh, without volunteer, really, is very difficult. We have a few volunteers, but you know, when we work with volunteers, because the people most we have, we're having people who are asylum seekers and immigrants and refugees who are struggling here and there. They'll give a little bit of time, but we really, A, we love very much the local, because really, the local should be very good to come. Who the local, the Irish people, those who can be able to manage, even, not, even if you're not local, but you have time, really would love to come okay. to invite you to come, to be a part of us, to work together. You'll not be a volunteer, but to work together mm -hmm. uh, to see that really we are uh, giving out. It is true. Yeah. We like volunteers. We have a few volunteers who really, uh, they are very, very active and we are very proud of them. Without them, we cannot be able to achieve where we are. And I'm very thankful that Nathaniel, you are part of it. And we really would appreciate the stories, the example where we go to schools and talking to the people. They are still remembering you. Those universities <laughs> which we oh, went to together, oh, the person and the school, those schools, they say, when are we going there again yeah. in that so, one? I, I re I've only spent a short time w with you, but, but I learned a lot through those experiences. And by the way, I'm going to put up the, the contact details for your organization uh, at the end. So if people do want to volunteer, they can get in touch with you. But, but I, I just wanted to share what, what, what I learned from uh, uh, just a few hours I, I spent with you. I, I think sometimes with this whole area of uh, social justice and reconciliation, people say, oh, th this is a distraction to the gospel. We should just be preaching. But with the time I spent with you, I saw when we engage with people's real needs and we care for them and we love them, the doors that opens to the gospel. I, I came to teach one class. There was a, there was a, a, a new um, asylum seeker from a war-torn country. Um, he, he had had a very difficult journey across Europe to get to Northern Ireland. Uh, and I remember he came in and you, you gave him tea and coffee and you, you, you welcomed him. Uh, 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 and you, you, you didn't just see him as a project, but as a friend, you asked him about his life. And remember, he told us that he had met some Christians in Greece who had ministered to him. Uh, and then I remember after we spent time, um, you, you asked him, can we pray with him? And you asked me to pray with him. And I couldn't believe I was praying in the name of Jesus with uh, an asylum seeker from the Middle East who I'd only just met. And I just saw how, how, how the gospel um, was going forth through just your kindness and, and your, your, your boldness. I also remember going into the school with you and we were able to talk to this uh, class. They had some issues with racism and we were able to just share um, uh, about um, everyone's value as being created in the image of God, um, how God sees us and how we need to treat each other with value and dignity. And it was a way we were able to share the gospel um, uh, in that context. So, so, so I just think uh, you, you've already taught me a lot, David, and I look forward to learning a, 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 a lot more um, from you in the future. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing, for, for, for being here, uh, uh, and bless you. I just want to say a, a few closing words. Um, I, I think I would say we, we, we need to be discipled by God and his word not by culture and media. I'd say that's a really key takeaway. And sometimes as Israel uh, encourages, we need to step back. We can get caught up in, in the noise and the anger and, and all, the, all the debate and loud opinions. When, when we need to step back sometimes and remember the clear message of the Bible. And the clear message of the Bible is, is that it tells us what our true identity is in this part of a diverse kingdom of God, a diverse church. Um, where we're beautifully created um, with different skin colors, different cultures, different characters, and yet we're part of one family. And that our true allegiance isn't to our nationality, to our culture, to the part of the world we're from, but it's to Jesus, and that's what um, unites us, and that's what we're going to see one day in the future when we're all together. And, and we've received God's grace um, as we are with all our weaknesses, with all our sins, all our baggage, uh, and we're saved, though, for a purpose. We're saved to share this with people of all backgrounds, of all cultures. Uh, and it's been wonderful to see how Johanna is doing that, <laughs> how God is using you to do that, how Israel is helping us to do that. So, so it's been uh, really encouraging even this morning. I, I've, I've learned a lot from you guys. And I want to 
finish with a, a, a final story. Um, a, a couple of years ago, before lockdown, uh, MAP arranged an international meal at the International Meeting Point, and we invite about 100 Christians from different cultures. Actually, a number of Iranians actually cooked the meal for us uh, and served us, but we had people from different countries telling stories of what it was like to, to be a Christian in, in Northern Ireland. And there was a couple of themes that really came forward through that struck me. Each of them felt that God had brought them here for a purpose. It wasn't a mistake. God had brought them here, and they wanted to be a blessing to this land and its people, and to be given that opportunity to do that. Secondly, they said overwhelmingly Northern Irish people are, 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 are generous, they're friendly, but they did also say, we don't just want to be um, recipients of your kindness and charity. We want to be your friends. We want to be part of your family. We want you to share your lives with us. It's when we have true friends and deep friends here, that's when we will feel we really belong. So I think that's an encouragement, but a challenge to us as, as we look around, rise above a lot of this <laughs> complex debate, which is important to engage with, but we're talking about people um, who need love, who need Jesus. And I'd say for each one of us, can we prayerfully look around? Who do we know who is maybe different from us in some way? And can we be that friend which will make them feel that they belong here among us? And through that, they'll experience God's love and they can get to know him as well. Um, before I, I, I pray, I want to um, yeah, refer you to a few resources. Um, rather than giving you lots of books and articles to read, there's a lot of things out here. I want to actually point you to some um, organizations who can really help you to continue to wrestle with these issues and also to get involved yourself in serving in these areas. So um, the EA have something called the One People Commission, which is held, um, headed up by Israel, uh, and they work in this whole area uh, of, of, of cross-cultural, intercultural unity uh, within the church, and they have lots of advice and, and resources to help people do that. Your own, um, no, sorry, Johann's Every Nation Church. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. I'm sure he would love you to visit his church and get a taste of this uh, little bit of kingdom on earth, that it sounds like. Uh, so, 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 so please uh, look them up uh, and feel free to, 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 to visit them. Um, your, all, your own All Nations Ministries, David, um, people can see what you're more, find out more about you there, and they can also um, get in touch with you. And Embrace is a local organization, and again, they, particularly in Northern Ireland, are looking at how Christians can serve um, communities, um, particularly people who have come from different parts of the world uh, and, and are making uh, Northern Ireland their home. And Thrive Ireland is also a, a wonderful organization, uh, moving in the same way to bring peace and reconciliation between communities and between people of different um, cultures and, and ethnic backgrounds. And they particularly, I, I really love, they, they, they look to learn from the global church. So recently they had some Ugandan um, Christian leaders over talking about how they have had reconciliation in Uganda despite the horrible genocide they went through and what lessons can, can we learn here as we try and heal our own society. So it's so a wonderful groups we can get involved with and we can support and can teach us. And my email is there. I'm always happy to hear from you with comments and questions. And also if you would like to get in touch with uh, uh, Johan or David personally, email me and, and, and I'm sure they'll be happy for me to pass on um, their, their, their contact details. Um, we're gonna finish. Uh, now, but I would like to um, read a few verses from Scripture, and then I'd like to pray for us before we finish. So I'm going to um, just read um, the, the, the Beatitudes as found in Matthew. Um, here we see the, the, the mind of Christ, Jesus' manifesto to his disciples. These are the kind of people that I want you to be. These are the kind of people that represent me and, and are, are Christ-like and witness to my character and who I am. Jesus said to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for each of us and for the whole of humanity, Lord God. Um, and we just uh, long to share um, your limitless love and grace with others. And, and we long to see people of all nations and backgrounds and, and classes and, uh, and, and identities um, 
yeah, just discovering true peace and security and finding our identity in you, Lord God, and so that we may be brothers and sisters and we may rejoice and worship you together, Lord God. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be meek. Um, this is so counter to our human nature. So we need your spirit to be transforming our hearts and we need to be guided by your word. So I pray you will help us and use us as individuals and as your church here in this time and place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.